Blessed or happy. Blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. So you could be tree or chaff, right? But are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And may the Lord bless his word to our hearts. The blessed life, it starts out, blessed is the man, or happy, happy is the man. Happiness is different than what the world will look at happiness. Happiness begins with, we understand this, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about the joy of the Lord, or the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Joy or happiness, it starts with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Happiness comes through what I call kingdom living, which is opposite of this world and the way the world looks at things. I look at Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes as kingdom living and how opposite it is in philosophy, how opposite it is in outlook, how you think happiness would come to you. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. Say what? Anytime you have the word poor, you don't think of happy. I, I know, my wife and I know, we were poor at one time in life, and it's hard to be happy when you're poor, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Say what? For they shall be comforted. This is kingdom living, that when you know Jesus and you are mourning, the Bible says the comfort of God comes your way. That's why you're happy, because it, it brings more of God into your life. More of God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, meekness is basically is you don't try to acquire or get what you want. When you're meek, you, you have self-control, and you're not driven to make it happen. You leave it in God's hands. The meek are not weak, but actually they have strength and spirit. Meekness is seen in Jesus Christ when... He surrendered to his father's will and didn't try to achieve his kingship, his rulership, his own way, but he submitted to his father's plan. He did not look to defend himself, but the Bible says he was meek. He was silent before his accusers. He wasn't there with the sword. That's meekness. And you would think that in our world's way of looking at things, the strong are the happy ones, the ones that are acquiring, that are getting ahead, that are uh, going after what they want, right? They're the happy ones, but it's just the opposite in the way Jesus teaches. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Well, fasting and praying is a way of hungering, thirsting for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Years years ago, I had a lady in my church, and we had a, a short time of prayer and fasting. I think it was three days, and uh, 
it was a challenging fast for her. It's one of the first times she ever did it. And she was miserable. She was absolutely miserable. Didn't enjoy it at all. Well, the next year we did the same thing and she entered in again and she approached me and says, you know what? I think the Lord was in this fast for me because it was much easier. It wasn't challenging at all. But you know, fasting is called an affliction of the flesh. And I told her, you know, it's not meant to, you're not meant to go through it without feeling something. But in her way of thinking, it was of the Lord if there was no pain involved or no affliction or no challenge involved, right? Well, that's not the, the kingdom way. We understand that. Happiness, happiness in all the Beatitudes. It's just seemingly the opposite of the world's perspective, the world's outlook, the world's mentality, how the world seeks to gain. Happiness is in happenings. Happiness is in your dreams. You know, the what is it, uh, Walt Disney? Uh, you know, the idea of, uh, they talk about happiness and making your dreams come true. Your dreams come true. Well, we know that your dreams can come true and it's a mouthful of gravel. Because your dreams coming true really does not make you happy. Happiness begins with the relationship with Jesus. It begins with kingdom living. Happiness comes not by seeking happiness, but through holiness. The Bible literally teaches this. Holiness... A holy life is a happy life. We think a holy life is straight and difficult and legalistic and joyless. And, you know, that's what we think of people that are, quote, holy. But Matthew Henry, who wrote the Matthew Henry Bible Commentary, he says this. There are the, those only are happy, truly happy, that are holy, truly holy. Thomas Brooks, a Puritan, wrote this. Holiness is happiness in the bud, and happiness is holiness at the full. Psalm 19, verse 8 says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. So the word of God, learning the word of God, obedience to the word of God, that's what causes rejoicing, rejoicing or happiness. If you think about it, holiness flows from God. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. So happy are the pure in heart or the holy because they shall see God. If you're truly living right with God, a right relationship with Jesus, and you're not breaking his commands, you're not grieving the spirit or quenching the spirit, then you have the peaceable fruit of righteousness in your life, and the fruit of the Spirit is being expressed, and you are most happy when you're most right with God in your standing and also in your daily walk. His commandments are not grievous to me. I delight to do thy will, O God. Holiness is happiness. In this Psalm 1 What kind of man or woman are you? In this passage of scripture, there are two kinds of people, the righteous and the ungodly. There's two ways of living, planted like a tree or chaff driven by the wind. There's two distinctions between those two kinds of people. Those who delight in the word And those who walk in ungodly counsel. And there's two outcomes in life. Those who are prospering in the Lord and those who are perishing. So Psalm 1 has 
A lot of dichotomies there. So let's get into this. What are the characteristics of a blessed life? Well, verse 1 starts right out, right? It says, blessed is the man who walks. Everybody say walks. Walks, not in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor stands, say stands. Stands in the paths of sinners. Nor sits, say sits, in the seat of the scornful. So the way the world says is you walk, then you stand, then you sit. Walk, stand, sit. But the Bible teaches in the book of Ephesians just the opposite. You sit, you walk, you stand. So blessed are those who sit, walk, and stand. That's a characteristic of a blessed life. Let's look at the book of Ephesians. Sit. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 says that God has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Sit speaks about your position in Christ. It's an attitude of rest, of resting in the finished work of Christ. So that's where we begin. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, meaning he had finished his work. Paul writing in the book of Ephesians says, the Christian, that the Lord has caused us to sit in heavenly places. I am resting my weight on the Lord. I am seated in these heavenly places. I am resting in the finished work of God. It has to do with my Standing before God. I'm sitting, resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's how we start. And then, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Sit, is Ephesians 2, 6. Then Paul tells the Ephesians, walk. Walk is your life in the world. Sit is your position in Christ. Walk is your life in the world. You're walking in the daily living of your heavenly position. Walking. Walking. So we start out saved. Right with God. Redeemed. Sanctified before him. Made perfect. An overcomer. The righteousness of God in Christ. That's our standing before him, our declaration. So we sit down and that's what we are. And no matter what happens, we are not moved from that. But the Bible also says we then walk with the Lord. So we walk out our righteousness. We walk out our victory. We walk out who we are in Christ, our holiness. We are holy, but we walk out our holiness. The Bible says we are to pursue holiness, even though he has already sanctified us forever. The word sanctification means holiness. We are made holy forever in his sight. We can't get any more holy than what we are by faith in Jesus Christ. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. But our walk is our walking out of that, and we pursue holiness. And the Bible says we also exercise ourselves to godliness. You guys tracking this? So we sit, then we walk, 
And then according to the book of Ephesians, we stand. Sit, walk, stand. Sit, walk, stand. Stand is found in Ephesians 6.11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. To sit literally means, what does it mean? It means our position in Christ. Walk, our life in this world. Stand, your attitude towards the enemy. I'm standing. Standing. I am firmly positioned in Christ. I shall not be moved off this position of victory. I stand against all his temptation and his attack. I will not retreat. I stand in victory against them. That's our attitude towards the enemy. If you are not sitting before God, you cannot stand before the enemy. If you're not sitting. If you don't understand who you are in Christ, that's what sitting means. You're resting in the finished work of Christ. If you do not know who you are in Christ, you cannot stand against the enemy. I am righteous. I am forgiven. I am accepted. I am loved. I am redeemed. I am an overcomer. I am all these things. The enemy comes at me. And I know who I am, and I stand in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I resist him, and he will flee from me. Amen to that? Sit, walk, stand. Just the opposite for those that are in the world. They walk, and then they stand, and then they sit. But the characteristics of a blessed life is you sit, you walk, you stand. You sit, you walk, you stand. Number two characteristic of the blessed life. You live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In verse two, it says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. So we're going to be, I'm calling the church to fasting and praying. And we are literally going to walk out the aspect of my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. My bread is the bread that's sent down from heaven. I will live on the word of the Lord rather than live on physical food. Fasting prioritizes the spiritual over the physical. It's a way that you say, Lord, your word is most important to me. Not eating, not drinking, but eating and drinking of your word and your spirit. That's what is most important to me. Jesus prioritized it. He prioritized it in his temptation. And also when he met the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Disciples came to him because he was, everybody was hungry. They came to him and he told them, I have meat that you don't know. It's doing God's word. It's knowing God. It's his word. It's kingdom living. It's, it's having God in my life. You see, that truly satisfies us, right? And so the characteristics of a truly happy man is he lives by the word of God. Or as it says in Psalm 1 verse 2, he delights and meditates. To delight is you appreciate the word, you rejoice in the word, you love his word, it ministers to you and lifts you. You delight in it. To meditate is you assimilate the word. You think on it. You contemplate it. It fills your heart and mind. The Bible says, 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It does not say, out of your heart, the mouth speaks. It says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what your heart is full of, that's what your mouth will speak. Very little word, very little spoken word. A lot of the world's philosophy, that's what you will speak. A lot of anger, a lot of spoken anger. Does that make sense? A lot of strife, a lot of fear, that's what, out of the abundance of the heart. That's why it is so important for you to delight in the word and to meditate on the word so your heart can be full of, full of, so that's what you speak. That's what comes out of your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your words reveal what you contemplate, what you think on, what's filling your heart. So to delight in the word of God. They say a man is known by his books. Now I do, I do a lot of reading. I read sermons. I read books. I read articles. I read blogs. I read. A lot of what I read is the word of God. A man is known by his books. They say books are your friends. I was reading a book today by Tim Elmore, who I really like Tim Elmore. He's great on leadership. And I was reading a book by Tim Elmore. And uh, books are your friends. What does that mean? It means Tim Elmore is sitting in my office talking to me. Because I'm reading his book. It's what he wrote. It's his words. He's talking to me. Think about when you're reading the Bible. And you read like the book of Ephesians. And the Apostle Paul is talking to you by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And they're divine words. See, books are your friends. When you read the Bible, God is your friend. And the writer of that particular book is also your friend. We're reading Psalm 1. Well, who wrote Psalm 1? David. King David, the shepherd, the sweet psalmist of Israel. He wrote that, and it's as if he's talking to you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says leaders are readers. Well, what are you reading? What type of leadership do you want to offer or to model? If you read the scriptures then you actually learn about the leadership of God or the leadership of the Holy Spirit or the leadership of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. Whatever a man sows. So what are you sowing in your heart? When you delight in the word, you rejoice in it, you joy in it. And you sit down, you read it, you meditate on it. Meditation. You fill your mind with the word, and then you think on that. It's like you ruminate on it. You roll it over like a cow chewing the cud. You, you just chew on it. You swallow it. You bring it up again. You chew on it. You swallow it. You bring it up. You're just thinking. You're meditating on the word of God. You're sowing that. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So if you're sowing the word in your heart, you're going to reap good fruit, right? Whatever a man sows, so you sow the word of God. So a blessed man 
lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's talking about meditating on it. Listen to what it says about Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So God told Joshua, if you want success as a leader, as a man of God, if you want success in leading the people in the plan and purpose of God for your life, then you need to be in the book day and night. That's the power of the Word of God. That's the power. That's why every year I read the Bible through, Genesis to Revelation. Just every year, I just read it through. Now, some might read it. My wife reads it slower than I do, so I think you go through about every two years. She gets it through every two years. She takes more of her time with it, and there's a lot of wisdom to that. I just make it a goal to read it through every year. So I'm getting the Bible, Genesis Revelation, in my heart. It helps me in sermon preparation. It helps me in answering questions that people have because I familiarize myself with the stories, with the scriptures. Every year, I put the whole thing in my heart, in my heart. And I've just done it. If I've been saved for 43 years... 40, got saved in 76, 45 years. I've done this 40 years. Praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, you don't need to applaud. This is the d- discipline that I do. And, uh, and so I'm challenging you in 2022 to have, to be that blessed man or that blessed woman, that happy man or happy woman, and fill your heart up with the word of God. And maybe this can be a goal of yours, to read the Bible through Genesis to Revelation in 2022. Or to take half of it like my wife does, get half of it. But to encourage yourself into getting this book into your heart. The Word of God, has. there's so many metaphors to it. I mean, as you can see, I'm a word man. There's just so many metaphors to the Word of God. The Word of God is as bread, so we eat it. The washing of the water by the word, it says in Ephesians chapter 5. So it washes you and cleanses you. You know, you, 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 you're in the world and you hear all this stuff and you can hear dirty stories. You can hear curse words. You can hear vain philosophies and you can hear cultural weirdness. And uh, you, you can see certain things that you wish you didn't see and you feel like you're defiled. Like you're walking in this world. What happens when you walk in the world? Your feet get dusty. That's why they'd always wash feet as a sign of hospitality because the feet would get dusty or dirty. And when you read the word, it's, oh, Lord, just wash me. And uh, you fill your heart and mind with the scriptures and those things that you picked up throughout the day are just washed away. The word of God, a metaphor for the word of God is like a sword, right? And it divides between soul and spirit. Soul and spirit. Now your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. So it divides asunder between soul and spirit. So think of your mind or your thoughts. Did you know the word of God can cut through your thoughts and God's thoughts? Your will. The word of God can cut through your will and God's will. It could... Divide asunder between soul and spirit. Your thoughts, God's thoughts, your will, God's will, mind, will, and emotions. 
the word of God can cut through. Where, you know, is this the joy of the Lord or is this human happiness? Is this the anger of God or is this the anger of pride? Is this the love of God or is this just a human love? All kinds of, is this the peace of God that passes understanding or is this a false peace? I'm just getting what I want and it's, so I think I have peace. I'm making it up as I go, you see. The sword of the word of God divides asunder between soul and spirit, right? The Bible calls it like a hammer, like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And sometimes, you know what? We get a hard heart, hardness, and we need a hammer to break it up. And the word of God is like that hammer. I mean, there's just so many different metaphors. It's a mirror that reveals what type of person you are. Sometimes we're, we're so self-righteous. Uh, everything's good between me and God. Everything's good. In the book of James, it says that the word of God is like a mirror. It reveals what type of person we are. In other words, it reveals, oh, you know, I got, I got some, I need to comb my hair. I need to get that off my face. Uh, you, know, there's, you know, I'm dirty here. I didn't see that. And the word of God reveals Character flaws, wrong attitudes, we need that. We need that. Now, we just remodeled our bathroom, and we finally got the mirror installed today. And do you know how hard it is to comb your hair and to brush your teeth without a mirror? I mean, you just can't see. And we finally got a mirror. And uh, we're looking at it, and I'm getting ready tonight. And I said, man, this is great. I'm brushing my teeth. I'm combing my hair. This is great. I can see myself accurately in the mirror. How awesome that is. Well, or shaving, shaving without a mirror. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's very challenging. And uh, trying to live life without the mirror of God's word. You start out your day, and you think you look, you're fine. And you haven't looked into the mirror of God's word. And all of a sudden the mirror, you, you read the scriptures and all of a sudden God is checking you on this or dealing with you about that or revealing something here. And you're having to seek forgiveness or to correct that. And then you're ready to go. You're ready to go. The word of God. We need the word of God, don't we? And so a blessed man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's delighting and meditating in the word of the Lord. A blessed man, a characteristic of a blessed man is that he is planted. You shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Planted. Well, who plants us? God. The Bible talks about how God planted Israel in the land. You shall be like a tree plant. Now, a tree never plants itself. Am I right about that? A tree never plants us. Somebody has to plant the tree. And where does God plant us? By rivers of water. And according to the scriptures, what is the river of water? The word of the Lord. It's the continual supply. God plants us. Think about it. When you're saved, you are literally are transplanted from this world that is a wilderness, transplanted by the rivers of living water. You are planted in Christ. You are planted in his word. You are planted in the house of God. Planted. God in his mercy, when he saves us, 
planted us. It tells us in Psalm 92, verse 13, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Here we are, planted by God in the house of the Lord. The Bible says we flourish. I, I say this all the time. No roots, no fruit. No roots, no fruit. The wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away, it says. No roots, no fruit. Or think about out west. I love cowboy movies, especially John Wayne movies. And you always see the tumbleweed blown about by the wind. No roots, dry, blown about. Blown about by winds of adversity. Blown about by winds of doctrine. Just blown about. Not led by the Spirit. Just blown about by trials and tribulations and storms. No roots, no fruit. But the characteristic of a blessed man or a happy man is that he is planted. Planted like a tree by rivers of living water. The word of God, I I love that, was made by God to be a continual supply for us. Planted by rivers of living water. A continual supply. Something that refreshes us, revives us, ministers to us, enlivens us, pours into us. We drink from, sustaining us. That's what the word of God is. The Bible says that a blessed man is a person that is planted. I can't think of anything worse than being a Christian and you have no roots in the word and you have no roots in the house of God. How can you be fruitful? You just can't. Every believer needs to have a wholehearted commitment to the word of God And every believer needs to have a wholehearted commitment to the house of the Lord. This is how God sustains you and keeps you. And if you're planted, one thing trees have is roots, stability, and strength. A way to endure in the storms. All right. Another characteristic of a blessed man is that you are fruitful. Brings forth its fruit in its season. Now, when God destroyed this world with a flood, he said, from now on, said this to know, from now on, there will always be the four seasons. Seed time and harvest. Book of Ecclesiastes talks about in every season, there is the purpose of God. It tells us that in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Winter, spring, summer, and fall. Bearing fruit in its season. Did you know that God has determined and planned and purpose that a Christian, no matter what season you are in, you are to bear fruit. You bear fruit in your season. So that if you're going through a winter season, which would be a very challenging time, a lot of barrenness and challenge and difficulty, you can still bear fruit. 
the fruit of patience can be born in the winter season. Harvest time, fall season, that's a great time. Everybody loves harvest time. It's harvest time. You know, harvest time is a lot of fun, a lot of fruitfulness, a lot of increase. There is joy in the season of harvest, fall season. Spring season, new shoots coming out. Summertime, my wife's favorite season is summertime. Or you can look at the seasons as not winter, spring, summer, fall, but the seasons of life in the sense of in your older years, you can bear fruit. In your younger years, you can bear fruit, no matter what age you are, what season of life you are in, you're bearing fruit. New Christians bear fruit. Young Christians bear fruit. Mature Christians bear fruit. Seasoned saints bear fruit. The Bible says the characteristics of a blessed man or a happy man is that he bears fruit in every single season. Maybe the fruit that's being born is determined on the season that you're in, but you should be bearing fruit no matter what season you're in. Somebody say amen to that. Characteristics of a blessed man. You bear fruit in your season, including winter season. Remember, I talked to the, the man that has a nursery just right down the road there, the Highland Tree Farm, and he's talking about wintertime to me once. He says, oh, wintertime is so important. Nothing grows on the outside or above the ground, but in the winter season, those plants all grow their roots. He says, you don't see it, but winter season is a time where the roots grow. I thought, man, that, that'll preach. That'll preach, right? You know, I think that when there's a drought in the land, trees sink their roots deeper in search of water. Sometimes you're in a dry season. What's the reason for this dry season? It's so that you might sink your spiritual roots deeper in search of the living water to sustain you and, and then you find that living water and you're sustained. I found water, praise the Lord. And next thing you know, man, I got stronger because my roots grow deeper. God used the dry season. How about this one? Characteristics of a blessed man. You are sustained. The Bible says in verse 5, whose leaf shall not wither. So I got these characteristics of a blessed life. You sit, walk, and stand. You live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You are planted, you are fruitful, and you are sustained, whose leaf shall not wither. Sustained, you endure or you persevere. Your leaf shall not wither. The word wither means to lose freshness, vigor, or bloom. When you are withered, you are in decline. When Jesus was on this earth, he healed the man with the withered hand, right? The Lord loves to heal that which is withered. And so I looked this up. What causes a leaf to wither? Too much sun, not enough sun, too much sun, not enough sun, and disease, and not enough water. Those four things. Too much sun, not enough sun, disease, or not enough water. In the parable of the sower and the word, in Matthew 13, 
the son, that, you know, the soul went out and sowed the word, the son was the heat of afflictions and trials. Too much sun can cause you to wither. Too much heat or affliction or trials can cause you to wither. Not enough sun. Think about this. Too much ease. It's too easy. You're not being stretched can cause you to wither. Not enough sun. Or how about this? Disease. You become spiritually unhealthy. Certainly that can cause you to wither. Another one is not enough water. But if we're a blessed man, we're planted by rivers of living water. We should never wither for a lack of water. And think about this. Too much sun, not enough sun. The book of Corinthians says that God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape. God is the husbandman or the gardener. And he knows how much trial to bring your way. The strength of it, the length of it, he knows. He oversees. God will never allow too much sun in your life, too much sun in the sense of affliction, heat and adversity. He will never allow too much sun that will cause you to wither. He will always provide his sustaining grace so that you do not wither in your trials because of too much sun. Everybody agree with that? And also God is faithful not to give you such a life of ease and luxury to where you will wither. The law of adversity basically says as we grow stronger in adversity. I was reading about uh, the growing of uh, grapes to produce the best wine. And uh, they decided that they would have the perfect environment in growing the grapes, planting the vineyard in the most perfect environment. So they put these grapevines in the most perfect environment and the temperature was controlled the soil was controlled the watering was controlled uh, everything was it was a controlled atmosphere and sure enough the the the, the grapevines i mean they're just filled with grapes and they're going to grow the best grapes to produce a vintage wine the only problem is as the as as the the the, the vines became filled with these grapes, beautiful grapes, the branches started breaking. The branches could not hold the weight of the grapes. The reason being is it was such a controlled atmosphere that they learned that wind causes the branches to be strengthened because they have to endure or persevere the wind. So the branches are strengthened in wind that enables that branch to hold the weight of the grapes. But in this controlled atmosphere, those branches never got strengthened. And so they cracked or they broke. So it is with us. We need the winds of adversity to strengthen our spirit. Right? We need dry times to sink our roots. God knows these things. 
Your leaf shall not wither. He will allow the sun to beat down on you. He will allow the clouds to come to bless you. He will send rain upon you, right? He will control the amount of water that you get. Because if you lack water, you'll also wither. He will be able to sustain you. So the characteristic of a blessed man is that, man, they are sustained. Their leaf shall not wither. They persevere. They endure. Think about walking with Jesus. Would you say that you're full of vigor and vitality and strength living in this life of tribulation and challenge? Because you have found God and he is your source. And 2021 did not cause you to wither. 2020 did not cause you to wither. You're alive in God. The trials that have come your way have not destroyed you. They just motivated you to look to God. In that you found God. Your roots went deep in God. You found a love for the word of the Lord. You became more committed to the house of God. You're not withering, but rather you're flourishing. That's the characteristic of a blessed man. Life and challenge and trials and tribulations do not destroy us. He leads us to triumph. We're more than conquerors. His grace is sufficient for us. We can do all things through Christ. Am I right about this? Tribulation worketh for us. Not against us, but for us. Thank God for that, right? So whatever you've gone through, God has made sure that by his grace... You can be sustained through that. His grace is sufficient for you and for me. Somebody say amen to that. So you are sustained. Your leaf shall not wither. And finally, the characteristics of a blessed man is you are prosperous. Verse 3, whatever he does shall prosper. I had this down in my Bible written in the margin. I'm not sure when I wrote it in there. But I must, I like the quote, so I, I just put it down in my notes. Prosperity is the continual achieving of the will of God for your life. Prosperity is the continual achieving of the will of God for your life. When God said to Joshua, if you meditate in the word of God, I'll make your way prosperous and you shall have good success. Well, he said that when Joshua took over the leadership of the nation of Israel. And what were they going to do? They're going to enter the promised land and possess the promised land. Prosperity, I'll make your way prosperous. Prosperity is possessing God's promises for your life. Prosperity is entering into the plan and purpose for your God, for that God has for your life and possessing all that he has for you. It is dwelling in his good land, living in that land, possessing that land, being victorious in that land. That's prosperity. I also have this down. Prosperity is 
walking in the blessing of God, experiencing the favor of God, and being filled with the Spirit of God. That's prosperity. Greg Laurie, uh, just a great preacher out in California, he said it this way. Prosperity means you are living in the will of God. Prosperity can touch your finances. It can touch your health. It can touch your emotions. It can touch your relationships. It touches your personal relationship with God. Prosperity can touch all areas of your life. Thank God for that, right? He can bless you, spirit, soul, and body. Prosperity. The happier the blessed man is prosperous. You're not prosperous if you're not stepping into God's plan and purpose for your life. You're not prosperous if you're not overcoming in that plan and purpose of God, becoming everything that God has desired you to become, to do, to be. That's being prosperous. I want to finish his work, to fulfill his plan. I want to live in his purpose, live in the land of his purpose for me, and I want the promises that God has given me living in his plan of purpose. I want those promises to come to pass. Personally, in my marriage, with my children, in my ministry, all God's promises I want to come to pass in my life. I want to prosper. If I delight in the Lord and in his word and meditate in that, and I learn to sit and to walk and to stand, I can prosper. I'll never prosper charting my own course, doing it in my own strength, achieving my own dreams. Prosperity is the will of God. The Bible says that he promises to give us an abundant life. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life more abundant. What is abundant life? It's the life that God has chosen for me to live and to dwell in in Christ Jesus. I want to enter into all that that is. I want nothing to be left out. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to, to be what he's called me to be and to do what he's called me to do. And if I can be and to do, then I know that I am prospering spiritually in my relationship with the Lord. Somebody say amen to that. The blessed man or woman, those are the characteristics. Are you living that blessed life? One of the ways you can help us live that blessed life in 2022 is to start out with 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I'm not sure when the last time it is that we did 21 days. Does anybody know when's the last time we did this? 21 days of prayer and fasting? I know those that are new to the church, you might be freaking out, but we used to do this quite a bit. Then I moved away from a little bit, but I really feel led of the Lord to do this. You know, I was, it's back in the month of June of 2021, and I felt like the Lord laid it on my heart. When January comes, sound the trumpet, call a fast, lead your people into prayer, and here we are. Here we are. So our first prayer meeting is this Sunday at 8.10 here in the sanctuary, and then next Tuesday at 7 o'clock. What do you think about that? All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your goodwill, your good work in us. We want to be blessed. We want to be happy. We want to have a happy new year. 
We want to be blessed in Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, give us that heart's desire. No matter what season we are in, in 2022, may we bear fruit and may we not wither and may we prosper in Jesus Christ. And all God's people said yes and amen. Amen. All right. God bless you. God bless you.